Hey everyone, this is Ann Greeny, and welcome to Capital Connections. In this podcast, we will talk to successful investors and entrepreneurs about the state of their industry and how their network influenced their success. This podcast was brought to you by Affinity. Affinity helps teams manage and grow their networks by unlocking introductions to key decision makers and auto-populating their pipelines to increase deal flow. Affinity's patented technology structures and analyzes millions of data points across emails, calendar, and third-party sources to offer you the tools you need to discover untapped opportunities. In industries where success is contingent upon maintaining high-touch relationships, Affinity allows you to get deeper insights into your network and finally eliminate manual data entry. To learn more, visit us at affinity.co. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. I am super excited about our guest today. He has over 17 years of experience investing in early stage startups. He has made over 100 early stage investments and has seeded several multi-billion dollar companies, such as Dropbox, Lending Club, and Gusto. He co-founded Pair Ventures and has invested alongside his fantastic partner in companies such as DoorDash, Guardian Health, Branch Metrics, One Concern, and Affinity. But aside from his absolutely incredible early stage investing success, he also has one of the most fascinating stories in becoming a venture capitalist, literally from rugs to riches. Pedman Nozad, such a pleasure to have you join us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm just so excited. I have, uh, you know, this company, it's so close to my heart, to me and Mar and the entire PER team because um, um, Shubi and Ray, we, we met them while they were um, sophomore students at Stanford. So it's just incredible to see the journey and how passionate they were from day one and, and build the product that actually we build like every day. We, we cannot live without affinity, our firm. So I'm just really grateful for this invitation and having this conversation. Well, that's so wonderful to hear. And, and you have such an incredible story and just want to talk about that um, first. So you immigrated from Iran. You were you know, a top high school student. You played professional soccer there. Um, you hosted a popular sports radio show and even wrote a sports column. Walk us through why you decided to come to California and your first job um, that a former, it seems like a former coach helped you get um, that is quite unusual. Uh, sure. Well, I think my journey um, hasn't been planned. You know, some people say, okay, I'm going to immigrate to Canada or U.S. or or Australia. Mine was a lot of different circumstances. You know, I want to go back that when I was 10 years old, revolution happened in Iran, and then two years after war. So I think my teenager life was really um, involved in war and revolution. And, and I think when I look back now, it made me much stronger and who I am today going through those circumstances. But, you know, I dropped at university and, and then, as you mentioned, I was, um, I was playing soccer. I was writing for a magazine. I hosted Iran's most popular radio talk show. And then I decided to go to Germany where my parents were. And when I went to Germany, um, a professional team offered me to play at the same time paying for my college. Uh, while I was in the transition in the first few weeks in Germany, my brother left Iran. When she, he was 15 years old, he was in Germany, he had this American dream and he was denied visa for like five, four or five years. And uh, he, he was, everybody at the U.S. Embassy knew him because he was just showing up every month to get visa. And they said, his name is Bardia, so we're not giving you visa. And one day he said, why are you not going to U.S.? And I said, you know, I have 
a professional team playing. My family's here. My parents are, you're here. I speak German. And I said, well, it doesn't hurt. Let's go to the embassy. So I, we, we took a train to Frankfurt and um, the ca- counselor actually um, interviewed me almost for you know, 45 minutes. And, and I remember she said, it was a young woman. She said, I, I don't know why, but I want you to see my country. Um, and she gave me a visa. I didn't know what kind of visa is. And, and you know, I took a chance. I uh, left my family. I didn't have any plan. I didn't speak the language. I had only a few hundred dollars. And I said, I'll try it. And, and I knew America, it's, it's land of opportunity and, and gives a chance to immig- immigrants. So it, it, when I look back now, I thought, well, what a, what a bad decision for the circumstance if you logically want to make a decision you don't do it so i arrived here in san carlos san carlos is a town near stanford university and the reason is my uncle lived there so i arrived here and you know as you read i was in love with the girl in iran that i thought okay i'm going to lose her now because the distance is so far at least germany i can go back and so on so i tried to call her every day and you know, the $700 just gone in a few weeks because, you know, I had to cash it to quarters and get a bag of quarters, go to this payphone downtown San Carlos. And San Carlos wasn't like today. It was a, it was a post office, Wells Fargo Bank, a consignment store, and a coffee shop. That's it. So today is just beautiful town. So I was calling her every day. And, you know, at that time, I don't know, it was like three, four, five dollars per minute, which is so expensive. It wasn't today. I mean, this is 1992. So I lost, um, I lost the money and I said, what do I do now? I need to get a job, but I didn't speak the language. Um, and because of my network in Iran, playing soccer and writing, I knew former Iran um, head coach, national team is in San Jose. I called him and he said, yeah, I have a job for you. But I, somehow I didn't ask what type of job it is. So I thought, you know, I'm a, I'm a journalist and this has an office and so on. So I bought a 1973 Chevy for $750. And uh, actually it was a five payments of 150 bucks. So I drove there with uh, kind of a dress up and it was a car wash. So I showed up at the car wash and obviously I didn't work the first day. And the next day I started to be in the car wash. So, so you, you showed up at I the tell car wash. You, all dressed up, ready for an actual job, and yes, 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 yes. hand you a rag. Well, I actually I started to wash cars the next day, and I think I became the best car washer the world has ever seen. Nobody washed cars like me. Even the, the owner knew, the customer knew. As in, I just did it with so much love and passion, and and, and the reason I think I I knew this is not my life, and it's gonna you know it it, it moves forward and. So I paused here. That's how I ended up getting my, my first job in, in America. So you ended up coming to America, $700 in your pocket. You used all that money to call the love of your life that was back in Iran. And you ended up getting this huge opportunity, which was washing cars, which most people today would not think of as a, you know, a great opportunity. But you clearly made the most of it. Um, so next, you, you found another opportunity opportunity on uh, University Ave, where you actually lived and worked together. Can you talk us through? No. Yeah, yeah. So actually what happens was, so I, I, my English improved and I ended up getting the job in the yogurt shop in downtown Redwood City near the theater. And oh, yeah. um, I, at, at that time, I, I thought I have to save every penny. And I asked the owner if I can live in an attic um, upstairs. So 
Um, he thought I'm crazy, but I insisted. And so I lived in an attic. It was for a few months, like six months. And this was a this was an attic above the yogurt shop. Obviously, no windows. It was kind of a storage for cups and you know napkins and forks and so on. So I slept there, and it was very very hard because there was no air circulating. Um, so I was waking up in the morning, five a.m., open the yogurt shop, work all the way to five p.m., and then go to college, and then take a shower, come back and study like one or two a.m. So that was that was every day. Um, and I think you have to imagine when you're away from your parents, your your country, that the tough part for me was really thinking through, okay, um, why I'm leaving uh, being a host of the sports radio show and like LeBron James of your country comes to your show and then you know, you're sleeping in an attic. But I think I, I always have this hope for the future is better than today. And I know that with enough hard work and determination, being kind and having good people around you, magical things happen. So... Um, one day I saw this advertising on television that this Persian rug gallery in downtown Palo Alto is hiring salespeople. So I called um, the owner, interviewed me on the phone, and he asked me, have you sold rugs? I said, no. Have you sold cars? I said, no. Have you sold furniture? I said, no. I said, well, why are you calling? You haven't sold anything. He said, I sell yogurts, but uh, I think that that counts. So he was just saying, well, you're not a fit, but I insisted that you know, you shouldn't deny me without meeting me. And you know, it was a pause on the other hand. And he said, okay, I'll meet you tomorrow. So I put a tie and went over in downtown. And this is a, the owner of Midian Rock Gallery. He passed away many years ago. And I, I, he was my mentor for many, many years. Um, he, uh, he actually had built in a, a big industrial um, operations in Iran. And, and then he moved here government nationalized his assets so he started from scratch um so he somehow liked me he offered me a job and i remember it was a thousand dollars salary i said oh i can i can't live on a thousand bucks he said okay i'll give you another five hundred dollars but you owe it to me back so he was was loaning me that five hundred dollars to work so i started to come the next day with suit and tie to sell carpets and he said no you're not selling carpets you just you know clean floor you flip carpets and you make Persian tea. So that was my, um, um, my way to get into carpet business. But this, what happens was I was watching every other salespeople and I knew I can do a better job and I didn't get a chance to do it because I was new. And what, what I did, I started to call all the previous customers and, you know, when you buy Persian carpets, it needs to be cleaned. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I was calling them. It says, well, um, Mr. Johnson, Mrs. Johnson, you bought the Persian rug five years ago. You need to clean it and we have 50% off. So everybody was giving the appointment to go to their home to pick up the carpets for cleaning. And I was replacing it with the nicer carpet. So cleaning carpets to take two weeks. And when I was going back, um, I said, well, I like this carpet more. So, and I was upselling it. So <laughs> and then owner started to notice, wow, he's starting to sell it. And then, you know, after a few sales through this um, cleaning, he trusted me and said, keep Pageman um, customers. So that's, that's how I started it. But, you know, when you sell Persian rugs, it's expensive. So people come to your office, to your gallery, and you go to people's home. Yeah. So let's say you come to my office at Pageman. I bought a home here in San Carlos, and I need a carpet for my living room this size. You look at carpets, and we bring 20, 30 to your home, and we start to show you until you pick one. And sometimes we go back and forth for, for a few days. 
so by going to people's home, I, I started to notice that one, these people are very smart. They're very nice. They have a conversation. They know about my country, just a lot of knowledge. And when I was asking what you do, almost everybody was in technology and I was literally astonished at how much value they have created with knowledge. It wasn't really big homes, being wealthy and affording carpets. It was just really, truly the, the impact they have. And I thought, okay, I want to be one of these people. I want to I wanna learn what they do. And I started switch. This is like six, seven years into selling carpet. Um, I started to ask a lot of questions. And my advantage was these people typically you can't meet them because they were all executives, founders. And if you want, it takes like a few months. But I was Sunday barbecue with their families around pool and showing carpets, have lunch with them. And then say, okay, what do you do? Why is this like it? How do, what, what is fundraising means? And these are venture capitalists. I said from Sequoia Capital, they opened kind of their playbook for me. So I started to learn. And then, then I built a great network and I thought I can leverage the network. And I asked the family to partner with me. I'll give medallion rug. So we partnered together and we started to make investment late 90s. And that was a journey of starting to be an angel investor. And I just want to remind you at that time, there was no tech crunch, no YC, none of this thing. Yeah. So, and what I did was really leveraging my network. I knew, um, for me, it was like playing in, want to play in NBA, but I knew I won't be LeBron James or Steph Curry, but I can be the best agent the NBA has ever seen. Well, because of my network. So I, I played that role and I started to put a lot of gatherings inside the gallery and people loved it. I mean, it was just so unreal and new at that time to bring, you know, a, a few venture capitalists and 100 um, entrepreneurs in a rug gallery, have Persian food and talk about investments. So little by little, I learned and I grew my network. I made a lot of mistakes, but I made like incredible founders. So it's a complex combination of Timing and luck for me also. Yeah, and I think that what was so interesting about and what is so interesting about your story is, you know, Adam Grant talks about one of the, the key pieces to building an incredible network is really honing in on your craft. And your craft was Persian rugs and your passion about it. And tell, tell those that, that don't know like a little bit about why Persian rugs are an, an investment and why people were so interested and why they would invite you into their homes um, in order to, before they bought these rugs. Yeah, so obviously, as you know, um, you know, Persian rugs are all handmade. The history goes back to 2,500 years ago, and each region in Iran has different designs, different color, kind of the same technique. But if you go to like, Azerbaijan on the border of Soviet, former Soviet Union is different. And, and, and the quality of the wool is different because the climate is different. So Iran has four seasons. If you come from north to, to south, it goes from really green, very cold, and it goes to desert, and it goes to Persian Gulf. So each region has a variety of different colors, combination, designs, and so on. So it's very complex. Every carpet takes anywhere between six months to three to four years to be made. Uh, it lasts for generations. So if you put all of these things together, it's just one of the most complex and durable arts in the world and really enhances the beauty of the home. I mean, if you have carpets, you might change your home a few times, but you don't change your carpets because it's part of 
you and your heritage and your family. So I was, I was educating all of my, our, 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 our customers and they really liked it and requires buying carpets distrust because you know, if you buy a used car or you want to buy any car, you go online, you just figure out how much it is. But for carpets, there's no resource. It's hard to understand. Is this 2000, 10,000 or 100,000? So I was like kind of the bridge between them and this just masterpieces that they can be in their home for many, many years. Um, and I love Persian carpet so much. And I think that was, I was, I was just transferring this love to them in their home. So it, it takes a lot of effort to just really educate your customers, but they figure it out. This is something they want to keep it. And, you know, almost all of them have kept it and they're very, very happy about it. And you've sold many that's, that's of these people, it, several rugs at this point, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm I'm still waiting for affinity people to buy it. Ruby and, and <laughs> Ruby and Ray and, and you and, and Faisal and everybody. Yeah. But I think carpets you have to develop kind of a taste what you like. Some people like modern, some people like, you know, very traditional, some people like antique pieces, like any any other form of art. And and I wanna go back to what you were talking about, um, at medallions, that you were creating these incredible tech events when tech events really didn't exist. And you were bringing in people from all these customers that you had and this network that you were already growing and kind of almost matchmaking in some sort. So what gave you the idea that you thought, ah, this is what we're going to do. We're going to throw these huge events in this, this shop. Um, and what, what really spurred out of that? Well, I actually was, I knew entrepreneurs want to talk to investors and advisors and people build companies. That was very clear to me. And I said, I can, I can be this match. And I thought that doing this really, rather than doing conferences, if I do these networking events, um, something magical will happen. And we had sometimes topics. So I, I, I remember one, it was all about networking. And I brought the, one of my customers is Kumar Malavali, was founded with Brocade. And I brought a senior vice president executive of Cisco, and I brought another um, VCs, and I invited everybody who wants to learn about networking. So these executives talk about 15, 20 minutes. We had Persian food and a lot of network. So variety of different events, but, but I knew entrepreneurs early on need obviously capital, and second, really good mentors and advisors. And I, and I thought my relationship with venture capitalists, some angel investors at that time, which were very few, and people who built companies before, it will be very valuable to, um, to entrepreneurs. And that's something we keep the same thing today. Even, even VC do the same thing. You provide capital, you provide mentorship and guidelines and know-how. And one of your early investments was with actually Andy Rubin of Danger. Is that correct? And how did yeah, you Yeah, he, he came, go ahead. He came yeah, to buy a carpet. He, he came to buy a carpet from me and then, um, Actually, I asked what he does, and he said, you're starting this company, Danger, and I, we met his co-founder. is actually Mar's husband, Matt Hershinger, was co-founder of Danger. So that's how I got to know Mar. So we decided to invest in the company at that time because, you know, they were the brilliant technologists. And, um, you know, one after the lecture, I met Mar, and I ended up investing in Mar's second company in 2003-04, which she sold it to a public company, Magma. So that's, that's how I started to get to know Mar. I um, and I remember, you know, uh, Mar was telling me that has this story that nobody was giving math danger, any capital. And then they were living on Mars, um, credit card. 
and then Mars was worried about it. And, and then one night Matt goes home and said, wow, we found money. And Mar was just so happy and said, who gave you money? And he said, this guy in the carpet business. And Martha, well, this is a mafia money. Is illegal? Go return the money. <laughs> anyway, so uh, that, you know, and, and our relationship started then. And, you know, when I started fund, I knew Mari is the right partner. And it took me four years to convince her to join. Oh, well, that's fantastic. And yeah, we're, we're fortunate enough to get to talk to Mar as well next week. So I did definitely talk more about kind of your story and that, that matchmaking. So yes, you invested in danger. Uh, obviously, Andy Rubin is also the invented Android. Um, and you've met these kind of people along the way. I know Drew Houston as well from Dropbox. You met Wall. Were you selling him rugs? Was that another one of those? No, I think no. I think I met Drew and Arash at the Y Combinator demo day, and it was. I think at that batch was like 10, 10 teams. So I really like what they do and I invited them to our office and I was kind of orchestrating the seed round. And, you know, as you know, in, in five days, we were able to get Sequoia to invest in the company and we invest in the company also. Oh, and, awesome. you know, when I met them, there were two people in an 800 square foot apartment. Now it's a public company. Yeah, that is incredible. Um, so let's go to your, your venture that you are, you know, such a big part of your life now, which is Pear. Um, and you obviously talked a little bit about how you met Mar. Um, what made Mar such a great match for you? I mean, I could list about a hundred things of why she is just an absolutely rock star in yeah. the industry. What was a good well, match for you? Yeah. So around the fast forward around 2009 and 10, I was making solo angel investing. It was my own capital I was investing. And I felt that you know, I, I was looking at the cap table, companies raised 500,000 to a million, and I saw a few VC firms are investing, but nobody's really helping entrepreneurs on the ground zero. And I thought given my network and know-how and deal flow, I can build an institution to serve founders at kind of the ground zero when they start. The exact example is like Affinity, two incredible, passionate entrepreneurs, um, and they, they need help because they haven't done it before. Uh, so I, I, I knew I want to build that firm and I knew I want to build a partner with an entrepreneur, not an investor. And given my um, relationship with Mar, I knew she's the right person for a variety of reasons. One, she's been founded three times. Um, second, I know her, her family, her husband, and I knew she's an incredible human person. And she genuinely wants to help people. On top of it, as you know, Mara and I, we're yin and yang. So I'm a college dropout. She's a Stanford PhD with 20-some patents. And so it was, it, was a, it was kind of the perfect match in terms of our capabilities. Um, and then after a few years, we decided to join forces. And we started out of Coupa Cafe in downtown Palo Alto. In fact, we started to invest our own money next to each other and see if we, if we can work together. And it was very obvious that this is the, the right team. And the promise of our firm is, we want to be the best entrepreneur, the best partner for entrepreneurs going from zero to one. When you start a company day one, you have an idea, you might have a prototype, might not, and, and you go to stage one, which you have a product market fit. And, and we know sometimes from zero, they go to 0.9 and come back to zero. Um, so everything we do, all the resources and DNA we are building is to serve founders in that stage. You know, our investment team today have started and sold eight companies. 
to Yahoo, Magma, Instacart, Dropbox, Cisco, Facebook of the world. So we have been founders, um, happen to have capital, but we, we provide a lot of other services. And we, we really think building a company takes 10, 15, 20 years and, and, and more. So and we want to be uh, with the entrepreneurs as, as an extension of the founding team throughout this journey. And you even took that a, a level uh, further where you guys built, um, I believe it was called the garage or the, uh, where you're almost literally on Stanford's campus. Are you on Stanford or right next to Stanford's campus where you are allowing? Our, our, yes, I'll give you a little bit of history. So when we started the fund, I knew for any venture capital firm that you want to be successful, you have to have an extraordinary uh, deal flow, which like great entrepreneurs knock your door or you have visibility into it. Obviously, because of my previous angel investing and Mars being founder, we had a very good deal flow, but we thought, okay, if you wanna be exceptional fund, you have to have a very exclusive deal flow. And we thought going after communities that are filtered, um, it's the right thing. And Stanford was the first community we, we did um, because obviously Mars studied there, started her first company there. I founded students at Stanford before like SoundHound is a multi-billion dollar company. I invested it very, very in, in the dorm. And, and, and the very first thing we did, we said, okay, why not bringing the best um, technical students, engineers and computer scientists under one roof, meet them every week. We kind of built this kind of a social club for hackers and really help them, not building companies, help them figure out problems they want to solve and help them build products for that problem. Mm -hmm. Without any expectation, you have to build the company. And <clears throat> first year, we uh, created this, and then you know, Shubi um, and Ray were part of that team. And so they they, they put the foundation <clears throat> of this amazing program. And now we have application because everybody at Stanford wants to be part of it. In fact, fourteen companies came out of that. Is there 15 companies out of garage? Without us, there's, there's, no, there's no money exchange. We don't take any equity. There's no string attached. You can start a company, go raise money from other people. Um, and it's, it's such a great social group of amazing builders. Now, this is for the first year. Now, this year, we are expanding it to the entire world. And we're going to pick 25 best CS engineer students in the world to join Garage. So if you have any, any recommendation, let us know. So that's in terms of the garage. And then we expanded the, our programs to a competition. So we have a pair competition that people um, you know, apply for it. They give our business plan and we give them $25,000. Again, without equity is kind of an uncapped note. And we have this accelerator program. It's kind of the YC, but only for 10, 15 teams. And these are for graduate students who left, who are done, and they're building a company that we invest and we take equity and we have a huge demo day on October 13, actually, that has been very, very successful. I believe this is the best program in the world for companies who wants to start because the number of the teams are really, really small. And then you get the entire attention of a team who have built eight companies. Yeah, uh, and we get a, an exceptional demo day that has been very, very successful. So today, we are beyond Stanford, except the Pair Garage, which is for the, everybody in the world. We are at Stanford, Harvard, MIT, UPenn, and Berkeley. Is, um, so, and 50% of our companies now are founded by students. That's so, it's so interesting. And I think the garage was just a fantastic strategy by both of you. And 
um, you're taking a massive bet on yourselves, you know, unlike a lot of the accelerators that are popping up now where, you know, they're taking equity um, a, right up front, you're saying you're, you're getting the opportunity to get a first look, but equally you're betting that your relationship is only going to build and become and like blossom over that time period and that they'll let you invest if it's something that's interested in you that you're interested in, correct? Yes, you know, I think our business is kind of a talent agencies in Hollywood. You know, you always, there's always like this um, Brad Pitt of the world that are exceptional. Everybody knows they have been in movies. So if you bring him in the movie, it's no brainer. It's like the repeat founders. But there are some people who nobody knows and they, they are, they're kind of a future. You, you can turn these stones to diamond and there's so much capability inside them. And we are not afraid to partner with people who haven't done even a presentation or they haven't put the operations plan together. Obviously, if you look at our, our um, pool of entrepreneurs, there are people who have built second or third companies or have, have worked for large companies. But that people before this is the first job they do. And I, and I think we are not afraid to partner with them and, and, and really get, get along this just incredible journey like Affinity. I think the, who they are today, just incredible. They are leaders of their companies and they have come in exactly. And this is a capability we saw day one when we met them. Yeah, and uh, I was talking to Boltre and Shubi prior and they mentioned they actually, you guys put them up in like some massive mansion in Woodside as well. Um, I don't know if that's still going on, but I still- uh... No, I, ha I had this idea that, okay, maybe they should live together. And I negotiated with somebody to get this mansion for them and lived for the whole summer over there. So uh, it, it was just incredible. So I, uh, you reminded me, I forgot about that. So that's Yeah, cool. I hear there are plenty of stories that came out of that. I'm not sure what that mansion looked like after, uh, you know, lots of Chipotle wrappers behind yeah. left behind. I don't know if you have seen their interview on, on Fortune magazine. I have, I have. I've seen it. And actually, you know, um, and this is, this is really who we are when you see exceptional people. Then we really partner with, with Ray and Shubi. The idea wasn't affinity, as you know. Yeah. Um, it was a completely different idea, but, but the new that ideas is not as important to the people who are just taking the lead of building you know, long lasting companies. And one of the big pieces of what we've built at Affinity, as well as kind of one of the thesis or part of your mission at Pair is you're really helping these entrepreneurs pair up with people outside of, you know, other VCs, other, you know, ex industry experts to help them. And I know that that was a big thing for both Shubi and Ray in the early days of getting access to these venture capitalists in your network. Um, I know that uh, going back to where your name came from, I know the story, but uh, would you just mind telling everyone else of, of that's one piece of it, of being able to pair, but where yeah, you yeah, came up yeah. with the name? So when, when we started the firm, Mars at Pageman, everybody knows you in this town. So let's put your first name, obviously her first name, because people know, okay, this is Pageman's um, new VC firm. So we started with Pageman Mar, but you know, we, both of us, we never want to have our name at the door because we are actually building the, the pair today to be in the business in the next hundred years. So we want to, we want to build an institution that outlasts two of us and then multiple generation of the leaders come and, and build pair. So, and, I, and we knew for that, we don't want people to come and feel they're working for us. We want to make sure people are working with us. Um, and so I, I always wanted to change the name. The very first name I thought we, we should do um, was bamboo 
because I thought, okay, sequoia trees, strong, it takes so long, but the world has changed. Startups grew so fast and bamboo grows so fast. It doesn't need much water. And, you know, my wife was just so against it because there's, I think there's a bamboo hair salon, nail salon inside that in Redwood City. She said, well, this is, so, okay, we don't do it. Then I thought pomegranate is the right name because we seed companies and pomegranate has a lot of seeds in it, but it was kind of overused and it was hard to spell. And then we gave up and we hired this incredible uh, marketing strategist and we said we were finding a name. So in, she interviewed um, everybody in our firm. And I told her, listen, I think ideas and entrepreneurs are like fruit trees. So when they need water, they need soil, they need farmers. So if you find the name of the fruit, I think I'd love to see it. So she came back with 500 names and, and he said, well, Pejman, you mentioned fruit. I, I think pear is the right name because you're pairing with entrepreneur. So if you if it's kind of misspell it, it's pear. And it was kind of a no-brainer. And then um, it's kind of the coincidence that PE is Pejman, the AR is Mar. So yeah. when you look at pairs, so yeah, there's so many different uh, from a marketer's perspective. Like we we love all the <laughs> different yeah. pieces that go into your name. I think it's fantastic. Um, so my, my next question is, you know, you especially pair. You guys are meeting thousands of founders every year, um, and you're investing in what a, a what, how many a year? A hundred or why? Well, no, we invest in like ten to fifteen companies a year. Okay. Yeah, I think we, we saw over 2,000 companies last year. And so of those 2,000, you're only investing in 10. How do you decide, you know, a lot of these, you know, in the very early stages, they don't really have much of a product. They don't have any revenue. How do you decide? What is that? How do you look at a founder such as Ray and, and Chuby and decide that like, oh, they're going to make something great? Well, when you look at opportunities, we look at two things for us is very important, team and the market. Um, we're assessing the market, it's kind of easier than the team early on. So we want to make sure that this is, if it happens, it's a really, really big market. And then the team, we spend a lot of time to get to know them, why, why you want to be an entrepreneur and how, how truthful you are to be an entrepreneur. What is the relationship you have with this market or this problem or this product that you're going to build? It's very, very important. We want people, founders who have, deep understanding of the market they're going after and they can build a product that people or institution or customers love and then we look at the we assess the dynamic of the team the history they have together is this the right team why this team is the right team um we obviously um like founders who are kind of captain of the ship they put the company and their employee above themselves we like uh, founders who are kind of paranoid in a healthy way. So you have this, this vision and this confidence that where you're going, but at the same time, you question yourself every day um, to improve. So um, these are the things you spend a lot of time um, and then really assessing the market and, uh, and see how big the market is. And some of those early relationships with some of the companies, uh, you know, both Dropbox, Danger, all those, you know, Gusto in the early days, did that help you formulate how you think about who you invest in today? Those. Yeah, I think the, these people, I, I think there are a lot of these characteristics kind of common among many of them. 
So you want to look at those patterns, but at the same time, I, I, we don't go to a meeting with a box view that this is the only type of the founders we want to back. Um, I think as a venture capitalist, you always wish that somebody walks your door and surprise you. And, and you really believe um, futures are built by entrepreneurs, not investors. So we want to see the future through their eyes. And that's the hardest part when you're a venture capitalist or investor early stages. Do you have the capability to detach from your belief and look at the world differently through the eye of the entrepreneur? Most of the people can't. I mean, that's why it's only if you can fund Airbnb or Dropbox or because, you know, people have a kind of the box view of the world. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, want to jump into, just being cognizant of your time, want to jump into uh, Quickfire. We'll just ask you a, a couple questions. You yes. can take as, as long as you, you wish on this. But uh, the first one is, so you played professional sports. What lessons did you learn um, by being, and I know you're a passionate soccer fan, what lessons did you learn in playing sports um, your whole life that have shaped your career? Yeah, it's very important. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because I actually think we are building a soccer team at Pair, um, which means we want to win and everybody has responsibility. But sports, in particular, team sports taught me to be a team player, sacrifice, uh, hard work, never give up. And in soccer, in particular, you can turn things around last second. Um, so always having this hope. And even if you lose, there's another game coming up. So these are the things you learn over there. So, and today at our firm, if my team says, Pageman, you need to sit on the bench today. You don't need to play. I sit on the bench as long as I know my team is winning. And uh, that's fantastic. And what position did you play? Just uh... I play uh, center midfield. Okay. So yeah, you are in the, the leadership role. Um, the affinity soccer team started up last year and we could have uh, really oh. used you. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> we, you might get an invitation if we get out of this COVID world. Sure. Yeah. Well, I can come as, as your manager, so I don't want to play with you guys. So <laughs> I'm, I'm needed. Get injured. Yeah. needed. It's needed. Um, awesome. So next question, you have two kids watching them grow up. How has that influenced how you invest? Well, obviously, with their generation, they're always great people to get feedback, especially in the consumer. Um, I think anything consumer, I run it by them and they have a very strong opinion about it. Um, I tend to listen to them and understand it. But no, I think once you have a family, you look at the world very differently and you think about their future and you know what, what, what technology you can you can what type of families you can you can back they can have impact of the world especially children not my only children the whole generation of, of children and we have done i think a, a decent job to back some of like really really important companies in education distance learning um you know environment uh, food and so on and i think we're very proud of backing those entrepreneurs that's great um next question would be what is your favorite book or is there any you know, favorite of the year that you've, that you recommend for people? Well, I've read a lot of books, but the one um, I like is Hard Things About the Hard Things, which is, which is fantastic. I actually, this is the book. Let me just bring it here. Um, I think I have it here too. Somewhere. Yes. But I think I, everybody, this is my friend, uh, Seth Convar's book called Syntax at Sage, Reflection on Software and Nature. 
by Seb Kamvar. He's a professor at MIT. He started a company and he, he, the first company Google ever bought was by him. He has a PhD in math. It's just pretty incredible, uh, very easy to read and, and how software has shaped our world, but how at the same time, for example, we, we created email to, to make our job easier, but it's make harder now. Um, so how do you deal with that? I really encourage people with this. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I was going to say, I think everyone in the startup world has this book that's sitting yes. <laughs> sitting next to them because there's so many great lessons um, uh, about how it's never an easy, it's always a little bit and, of a roller coaster. And that's Ben and Gorg's if book. You, if, if you want to learn about English Premier League and then the start of it, it's a great book called The Club. It's like a history of English Premier League. It's just fascinating book about sports and how, how this league has just been so dominating. That's great. Yeah, I, I definitely will. I've played soccer my whole life. And yeah, I, I think it's just the, the analogies of, of sports and starting a company or starting a firm is there's a ton of parallels. Um, final question for you is, is there any, is there one thing that you would like to see change in venture capital in the upcoming years? Well, I think, um, in the VC world, no, I think it's just pretty established. I think there's so much capital out there. I, I, I think companies are getting funded. Um, I, I think VC is is doing a decent job of finding entrepreneurs and backing them up. Um, I don't see any changes in that. I just, I just hope that a lot of entrepreneurs will start to work on really important problems um, that can have an impact on our world going forward for the next few decades while having a, a financial outcome for them and their shareholders and, and team members. And I, I, I lied. One more question. Uh, what industries uh, are you interested in investing in in 2021? Has that changed at all? Or are there any new ones? No, we always, we never have uh, any focus. We're kind of generalists, except medical devices. We invest in everything. And, and it goes to back our belief that entrepreneurs know more than us. Um, so I just don't think we're going to, and there are some firms have um, real focus that they invest only in biotech or only in, AI before us is just really partnering with entrepreneurs. If you look at our portfolio, it seems we don't know what we're doing because it's from, you know, SaaS and food and software and biotech and food delivery and so on. But that core are uh, exceptional entrepreneurs, the outliers who walk through the world, make things happen and building long lasting companies. That's fantastic. Well, Pagebum, thank you so much for taking the time with us. You, uh, Pear has been just such a support and has helped Affinity grow from the early stages. I think I, I, I'll leave it at, there has never been a time where we didn't need help or we didn't think that we could uh, either contact you or Mar and you guys were, were willing to be right there helping us. So greatly appreciate you taking the time. And if anyone wants to get in contact with you, uh, social media handles or anything that they- No, it's pageman at pair.vc. Just email, just shoot you an email. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just want to. I just want to say I, I'm just so proud of what you all have built at Affinity. There's no place I go and people say we, we love Affinity, the venture capitalists in particular. So just incredible. I love the culture and energy inside the firm. Every every time I talk to you and Ray Shubi or people there, just there's so much vibe. It seems you are on. You all are on the mission to build something greater than yourself. 
And I just want to thank you so much for, for the, all the hard work and what you do. This podcast was produced by Affinity's Senior Growth Manager, Faison Mehdi. Music was produced by Affinity's Engineering Manager, Rohan Sahai. This podcast was brought to you by Affinity. Affinity helps teams manage and grow their networks by unlocking introductions to decision makers and auto-populating pipelines to increase deal flow. Affinity's patented technology structures and analyzes millions of data points across emails, calendar, and third-party sources to offer you the tools you need to discover untapped opportunities. In industries where success is contingent upon maintaining high-touch relationships, Affinity allows you to get deeper insights into your network and finally eliminate manual data entry. To learn more, visit us at affinity.co or email us at marketing at affinity.co. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.